enriching your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey everyone, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we have a special guest for Friend Friday, the acclaimed novelist, Brina Clark. So welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast, Brina. Hi, I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. So for those of you who are not familiar with Brina, she's the author of three novels. The most recently published one was Angels Make Their Hope Here, which is set in an imagined mixed race community in 19th century New Jersey. Her debut novel, River Across My Heart, was an October 1999 Oprah's Book Club selection and was named by Publishers Weekly as one of the seven essential books about Washington, D.C. And her critically reviewed second novel, Stand the Storm, was named one of 100 best for 2008 by the Washington Post. Now, Brina is a graduate of Howard, and she's also written about her hometown in growing up in Washington, D.C. and oral history. Her short fiction has appeared in Washington Post Magazine, Quelli Journal, Stone Coast Review, Nervous Breakdown, Mom Slash Egg Review, The Drabble, Catapult, and now, which is the Hobart Festival of Women Writers online magazine that she co-edits. She's a co-founder of the Hobart Festival of Women Writers. She's also been a member of the fiction faculty of Stone Coast MFA in Creative Writing at the University of Southern Maine since 2013. And most importantly to me, at least, she co-authored our new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, I'm Speaking Now, Black Women Share Their Truth in 101 Stories of Love, Courage, and Hope. So, Brina, first of all, I have to ask you something because I've started describing you to people as a novelist and a historian. Would you say that's accurate? Well, yes, that is somewhat accurate. I would lean on novelists because I do fictionalize the history. I do quite a bit of research, but I'm always thinking in terms of the fictional story. So I'd say I was a novelist. All right. Well, I've learned a lot of history. I've read your three books, which I just, I devoured them. I loved them. Thank you. Yeah. And it helped that my two kids went to Georgetown. So it was so familiar with the locale for two of your books. You know, that that made it really fun to read about all the streets that I know, those narrow streets where you could never find a parking place. Like very familiar <laughs> with those streets in Georgetown. Gosh. Yeah. And it, you had told me an interesting story about how you wrote your first novel basically while you were working full-time and how your boss made it possible for you to get the novel done. Can you share that story? Because a lot of our listeners are writers and they'll be fascinated by how you managed to do this. Well, I really did. I was uh, working full-time at Time Inc. I did administrative work at Time Magazine. So I worked for several of the top editors. I also attended a writer's conference and Ernest J. Gaines, a very distinguished writer, read my early manuscript and said, look, don't come back to any more writers conferences. You stay home and finish the novel. You've got a full-time job, so you won't be able to just write it full-time. So don't come back. So I was lucky. I was able to do that. And I was lucky because my boss had a lot of weeks of vacation. 
And he didn't require me to take mine at the same time that he did. So it sort of loosened me up for a really extended vacation period. And I was able to work. And Time Inc. was the type of place, the atmosphere was conducive to creativity. And there were a lot of writers on the staff. So it was a great environment for me. That's so great. And you had this unbelievable success with your first book. I did. Which of it course, it deserved. Really, I mean, yeah. it was a great book. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, it was really fabulous. And I loved Stand the Storm also. I think that was my favorite Thank of you. your three, but I loved all of them. And I'm so excited that you were able to make the time to join us to work on Chicken Soup for the Soul. I'm speaking now because it was just amazing for us to get a writer of your stature to be part of our team. Well, thank you for asking me. Thank you very much for asking me, because I think it's a very important project. And I was glad to be able to do it. And thanks to the pandemic, of course, we were all sort of stuck in our homes and we were able to put our noses to the grindstone on projects. But this was a lovely project. I got excited as soon as I heard what your idea was, because I do think to provide a platform and an opportunity for a wide range of voices to express themselves on such a, an important topic that we're dealing with now, which is, of course, American society and its relationship with its Black citizens and especially Black women. Yeah, it was eye-opening for me, of course, as a white person who tries to know what's going on in society, but how do you really know if you're not living it? <laughs> and I think you taught me a lot as you and I went through the thousands of submissions and chose the ones that were going to make it into the book. I think I taught you a little bit about what it was like to be Jewish and discriminated against, like in my parents' generation, and you taught me a lot about what it's like to be Black in America which is, you know, a thousand times harder than being Jewish in America. So it was very instructive for me. And I was glad we could have those conversations. I am too. I'm very happy. And I hope that other people, when they pick up this book, will be able to have that conversation. And I just wanted to make the point that we don't want to rank these oppressions. We want to recognize them all. And I think that's something that needs to be said in terms of what is happening now with recognition of uh, violence and discrimination against Asian Americans. We don't want to rank these discriminations. We do want to recognize them. And we want to hear from the people who suffered this oppression. And that's where I believe our book, I'm Speaking Now, it comes in that there are a number of women. Some of them are younger. We've got some very senior women who have contributed their narratives. And they're talking about the specifics of oppression of Black Americans. But they're also speaking in ways that I think everyone can understand and appreciate. Just reading stories like a woman saying that her husband had to dress properly to go to Home Depot, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that he had to curate his clothing to go to Home Depot. And then he was 20 minutes late getting home and she was worried about what happened to him. Was he pulled over for some nonsensical reason? 
stuff like that, when you read people's personal stories, it has such an impact. And I think for people who are going through these experiences on a daily basis, it's so nice to be together in the pages of this book and see that other women are feeling the same way and having the same ups and downs in their lives. And of course, we have plenty of happy, fun stories also. Oh, we do. We do. We've got lots of heartwarming stories. I like some of those a lot. We talk about traditions and family members, ancestors, and and that. We have some, frankly, very funny stories as well. I also was reading through the book, and there were a couple of stories about driving while Black, and some of the women were writing about their anxiety and And I was thinking to myself, wow, I thought I was the only super paranoid person that I knew driving around like that. And I realized how that sort of hypersensitivity has put a damper on a lot of my forays into the wider world, even though they didn't stop me from going places that I wanted to go. And I think it's that juxtaposition that is so lovely in many of the stories in which people talk about the microaggressions they've had to suffer, but they juxtapose them with the stories of how they surmounted those, how they put them in a certain perspective and were able to accomplish things anyway. And we have some very accomplished women among our contributors. Oh my gosh, I know so many women with advanced degrees, professor of this, associate professor of that, and oh my gosh, triple master's degrees. And I know I'm amazed at the pursuit of education that our contributors have engaged in. I don't know. I don't think I would have been that energetic to go and get all of those degrees. Yeah, this is a a very accomplished group in this book. And really doing a great job of promoting the book also. They're so excited about it. I think we'll talk about that right after we take our break. So we'll be right back after a little break from our sponsor. So we are back after our break from our sponsor. Of course, I never know if an ad was actually inserted for you, dear listener, or not. Sometimes they're inserted, sometimes they're not. Anyway, we are back and I'm talking to Brina Clark about the book that we made together, Chicken Soup for the Soul, I'm Speaking Now, Black Women Share Their Truth and 101 Stories of Love, Courage, and Hope. So Brina and I were offline discussing how enthusiastically our contributors to this book are promoting it to the world. It's been really fun. Like We asked people to make a video saying, I'm so-and-so, and I'm speaking now, and we got 81 videos in six days out of our 112 contributors, which is incredible. They are so lovely. They are I know. just lovely. And yes. I know like you love the book trailer. We put 18 of yes. them in our book trailer. And then we did a countdown to June 1st, the publication date of the book, where every day we had a different one of these videos playing mm-hmm. on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also running ads on our TV channels. And I don't know, Brina, if you know about this, but Chicken Soup for the Soul has, our largest business actually is free television and films. So we have these channels, Crackle, Popcorn Flicks. There's even going to be a Chicken Soup for the Soul channel coming. And we're running ads for the book on those channels. So a lot of those videos that all of these wonderful women made 
are being aired all over the place. A lot of people are seeing them. That'd so it's really fun. Yeah, you'll have to go and watch our TV channels now see if one of our ads pops up. Yeah, I will. I mean, they are beautiful. And I think their beauty also makes a statement. We're not hiding. We're not hiding who we are and how we sound or what we look like. We're speaking now and we're talking about our lives. And that is the loveliest part of the book. Of course, you know, I'm also fond of the quotations that we've included with each story. So I like the way they introduce our stories and they just sort of add to all of the knowledge you can glean from the book. You're so right, because basically this is an amazing collection of quotations from Black women throughout history. I mean, some of them are from a long time ago and some of them Mm -hmm. are quite current. Mm -hmm. Just the quotations alone are so inspiring. And it was, I loved being exposed to all of them. You told me, you know, some of the great writers, especially the ones from a long time ago that I should Mm -hmm. go look for their quotes. So that was a wonderful experience for me collecting all of those quotes. And I love the poems. Yes. We all were blown away by Amanda Gorman, right? At the inauguration. Yes. And so many of the poems that we include in this book have that kind of feel to them. I've been really impressed by that. Well, I think this is an important moment for poetry as well, especially for the spoken word poet, the person who is composing a poem to speak to contemporary issues and to witness historical events. I think this is certainly a moment for that type of poetry, which is why our contributors submitted these lovely poems. And I think there's an audience. I think that there are people out here who are looking for the lovely poem that expresses the poem of witness. Yeah, I'm not usually even a poetry fan. I mean, I prefer prose, but these poems are different. I loved every one of them. They're so powerful and so easy to read and understand. Mm -hmm. And actually, we've had most of the poets whose poems are in the book, we've had most of them record their poems for the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. And two of the poems already ran, performed or read by the authors of them. And we're going to keep running those on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. So that will be a fun new thing that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's been really great. I I love all the topics we covered in the book. I mean, I got a lot out of like reading about somebody going back to Africa, you know, and feeling so at home and saying, wow, this is where my people came from. Because now that people are doing Ancestry and 23andMe, they're actually finding out which country their genes are from, you know, instead of it being a big mystery. So those stories were really interesting. And also, you know what I loved is your story about Alfred Clark. (laughs) Because, oh, yes, yes. oh my gosh, what an amazing coincidence. So you've got to explain how you wrote Stand the Storm, and then you discovered that your own relative basically went through exactly what you described in your novel. Well, some of the similarities, it was really very exciting. I was approached by a woman a few months ago, about six months ago, and she had been doing research, genealogical research on a related ancestor. And she called me up and shared her information. I published Stand the Storm in 2008. 
and it covers the Civil War period in Washington, D.C., and it also, very central to the action, is the Compensated Emancipation Act in Washington, D.C., and this occurred about nine months before the General Emancipation Proclamation, so that the slaves who were in Washington, D.C., were emancipated a bit earlier than those in the other parts of the country. The feature was, and this was a plan of Abraham Lincoln's, was to compensate the slave owner for freeing the slave. So the slaves didn't get any of the compensation. Their owners did. Because of this process, there was a fair amount of record keeping so that names, and ages and descriptions of people that might otherwise not be available are available and they were in the National Archives. I had done my information, the research for my novel, sort of independently of this. I had depended on the spade work of others and much of mine work is imagined. But then when I discovered these facts about my relative, my grandfather's father, Alfred Clark, was as a child emancipated under this edict. And the woman who owned him received compensation for him. But on the records, his mother's name and his grandmother's name are listed. And so it's very exciting to have this specific information about an event that I wrote about in fiction. I know that was amazing. I loved that because I had read Stand the Storm within the past few months and then read your story, one of the two stories that you have included in this book. And I thought, what? That is just incredible. What an amazing coincidence. That's why I think you're a historian because <laughs> of things like that. Well, I just want to ask you one other thing, which is what kind of comments have you been getting from some people who have read the book? Well, I've been getting good comments. All of the women that I know who have shared the book and who have shared their comments with me have said that they enjoyed, that they recognized themselves in the stories. They were saying, oh, I yes, that, that was an experience that I have had. Now, I haven't spoken to anyone outside of my circle of friends, but I've got a pretty wide circle. And all of the women have said that they enjoyed the story. And not all of the women that I've spoken to who have re read the book are Black women. There are some white women who have spoken to me and said, oh, I, I like that story. I felt a real connection with that story. Or I found out something that I wasn't aware of in the past. So all of the feedback that I have gotten has been very positive, very much so. Yeah, I think that we're going to have a huge success with this book, Chicken Soup for the Soul. I'm speaking now. Oh, and by the way, the people who say, oh, did you put that title on it because Kamala Harris during the debate? No, she said, I'm speaking. Our book is I'm speaking now, but it's really because all women have this experience of speaking and then some man starts talking as if we're not even making any noise, like there are not sound waves coming out of our mouths. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. And also, I think our book's title has another resonance because it resonates 
with the idea that I'm speaking now, I haven't been listened to necessarily in the past. My mother, my grandmother, and so many of our ancestors spoke, but were not listened to, were ignored oftentimes. But what we're saying is I'm speaking now, and I'm sure that perhaps for the first time you're listening to me. But mm-hmm. I am speaking now. I'm going to take the stage. I'm unafraid and undaunted. And that's one of the senses in which I really think that our title resonates. I agree with you. I'm very proud of the work that you and I did. I'm so excited about this book. It's been my passion project. I think it's the most important book that Chicken Soup for the Soul has put out in many years. So thank you so much for being a part of it and guiding me through the process so well. And thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, this has been wonderful. It's been a pleasure. The whole project has really been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it very much. And so I'm very excited. Well, great. And for those of you who are listening, if you want more information about this powerful new book, visit our website, chickensoup.com. You'll see it featured there. You can read more about it. You can watch our awesome book trailer that Brina and I made. It's such a great book trailer. When my husband watched it, he got tears. He felt it was so powerful. And you can pick up your own copy of Chicken Soup for the Soul. I'm speaking now at Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, your local independent bookstore, your local Black-owned bookstore, and Amazon, and wherever else you like to get your books. Right, right. Thanks, Brina, and I will be talking to you soon. Thank you, Amy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.